0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Laughing Monkey Music. A little earlier for for Tim. This is Tim Pierce. This is one of my favorite guitars of all time. This is <laughs> seriously. I, I I mean, there's a handful of guitars I just I've listened to for years, and you are one of them. And on yeah, YouTube, I've learned a lot from you. Um, when well, you know the shows, I love it too. I mean, you, you you know, with Rick, you go on Rick's show, and you guys just nerd out <laughs> on like yeah, tips we, and stuff. I'm yeah, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, so people don't know I, I don't know who not know any at this point. Tim is a, a very prolific guitar player. Well,
1: Tim's... I joined Rick Springfield's band in 1983, I think. But that's when Jeff Jesse's girl was at, was a hit. Okay? Was it already out? Yeah, and and Jesse's girl was Neil Geraldo, and who's a good friend of mine, and I, I had a really nice interview with him on my channel. Um, he actually. He produced a record, a John Waite record, at the Power Station that we did with Bob Clearmountain, uh, and and I got to play all the guitars on that record. And I met I met John Bon Jovi at the Power Station, and then John had me play on the song "Runaway," which was Bon Jovi's first hit. So that was all, yeah, all that kind of happened at the same time. Uh, but Jesse's girl was Neil Giraldo, and uh, I joined the band. R- 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 uh, Rick decided to replace his band at that time, and because I had snuck into the studio and done some overdubs for Rick on his worthcoming record uh which his success hasn't spoiled me yeah yeah that's that's the first one i played on i became the guitar player in his band it was a really fun ride we did like five world tours who we went all over the world uh i got to play a lot of guitars on five studio records and i even great wrote, albums too i mean he even gave me a couple of song songs you know i co-wrote a couple of songs it was kind of a gift from him to me he really he valued me and we still are friends i you know we go out to dinner these days you know pretty regularly So oh, oh, there, there is no patreon i when i started this web business 12 years ago i i didn't want a, any kind of a donation model i wanted to, uh, to start a subscription and it took me a long time uh but i built it up over you know really i started 12 years ago and and it's, we have 4,000 members now, and I have four employees. I have a full-time film editor and the three part-time employees. And that's the actual monetized side of the business. The YouTube is the free side. And and then the, the subscription, the Masterclass, is the monetized side. So I just wanted to kind
0: of, you know. Yeah. Clear me up. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. I, I think I saw you on the Jesse's Girls. I like Jesse's Girls. One that part, I think I saw you play guitar, probably like a live thing. And since then, I was assumed that was your, your, your playing. So... Lot My bad on that one.
1: Yeah, and it's it's you know you, you could you could easily go yeah great, but it's it's better to tell the truth because Neil well, no
0: he's a great guitar player to be compared to him is also awesome too right <laughs> he is underrated one of a kind he's a one For of the record kind. underrated yeah. guitar player you know don't yeah. you, know, you say it and and I do want to put a little pin in and say Rick Springfield's songs and I've always been a big fan but I mean like he was always ahead of the curve like his lyrics. About, because he was like much more mature than the pop songs. They were great pop songs. It's so hard to write a good pop song. And everyone takes this for granted. They weren't just like disposable. He was at his peak and he figured out how to do the perfect pop song. He's mastered it. And those albums, because he was talking about some serious issues, but they're fun and you didn't realize it. He had love and he did talk about like sussing, like the words he even used. Like you're like, what? Like his songwriting skills were not really, I don't think, appreciated either, you know?
1: Well, and he still does write great songs. I agree. I just listened
0: to Snake King the other day. It's great. Yeah, he does an album
1: just about every year, if not more. Uh, He tours all the time. Uh, He has a great business, sells a lot of merchandise, fills a lot of theaters, plays at a lot of festivals. I mean, it's,
0: in arguably his
1: career now is actually better than it was when he was huge. Because it's all his, and he never stopped touring, and he has a devoted audience of, you know, People from like three generations, so he's, he's he's doing well. But
0: it's one of those things where people go, "Oh, Jesse's girl." I'm like, "No, you don't understand." Like he was writing like "Tower" like in, in like my father's chair, and nobody was doing that back then. Like that was some good pop music that meant it was like substantial. There's some emotions, and like I don't know with all his desktops dogs, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, he gets kind of poo pooed on that pop thing. He's got a lot going on there. So yeah, you so being perfect. with him was a great team. What I said, you and you being with him is the perfect team. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank I mean it was just fantastic. And but how from there did you end up being in so many albums? Like I mean how, I mean there's a lot of albums you're on and that's a lot of work. Well, I'm kind of an unusual musician
1: in that when I toured in the eighties in my twenties, I felt like it was the wrong place for me. I felt like it was an artificial existence and I wanted to be in the studio. And I wanted to be in the laboratory. I wanted to be a, a you know, a scientist in the laboratory if I can, you know, just aggrandize it a little bit uh the problem with being on the road if you're in a hotel room in wisconsin and you get a call for a session not only do you lose that session but the guy who took the session might get the next 20 years of work from that producer that artist so the opportunity cost for being on the road i became keenly aware of after missing a couple of session calls uh, in the 80s so when rick's when rick decided to take a hiatus in around 1987 i planted my feet and i started doing publishing demos for songwriters uh, and that's how I made my living for three years. I would go around town and do a publishing demo and have three songwriters argue over my parts. It was pretty excruciating. But that's where I learned how to actually come up with parts and sounds and get the temperament together necessary to stand the heat of battle. to uh, be creative immediately all the time. You know, it's pretty exhausting. I don't think I could do it now. But, uh, I, I, you know, that's where I learned to actually get consistent as a studio musician. And then I did a Crowded House record and played on Don't Dream It's Over. And that actually got a lot of people, or a lot of people, a lot of songwriters in particular who loved that song. And by 1990, uh, I began to work full time. And really through 1990 for you know, almost 25 years, it was just full on session work. It was, you know. So it really was a conscious decision to never go on the road again. I ended up doing five Joe Cocker records and, after I did one with Cocker, yeah, I did one with, with, in the nineties with him uh, and Chris Lord-Alge and Roger Davies produced it, and they asked me to go on the road, and I said no, and they they uh, offered me more, and I said no, and they offered me more, and I said no, and then they hired somebody else, and I remember that summer I had no work, and it was, oh. I was sitting there going, you idiot, you you could have gone out in the road with Joe and and done this thing, but even that summer I made some connections with people that. Have lasted a lifetime. Right. That's, so the opportunity cost has to be weighed against disappearing, you know. And it, that, that's just the job of a studio musician. Uh, it always has been. You know, you, you you need to be available all the time. So that's why I did. it. That's why I stayed home. Uh, Phil Collins, the same thing. He asked me to go on the road. And just shoot
0: me. <laughs> no. How? But like, Scotty. First off, you're a very kind person, and, and there's something about the way you teach. And I love to watch you play. It feels very effort effortless. And it and it and it just um it's very you're very um aware and conscious, but it's also flowing at the same time. The way you kind of like I feel like you're on both parts. Like I feel like it's naturally coming out of you and you're not thinking about it, but you're also very aware. <laughs> and to me, that is the 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 best part of any playing, and that is that is why you're one of my favorites, because it's you know, it's how you play. It's 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 effort the effort you put in is different. And the psychology you have to have to play with different guitar players and different musicians and all these different artists. Some of them have egos, some of them don't. Behind the scenes, some of them are a lot more cool than you'd think they are, because they're just people. And your temperament is so chill. It's gotta, in the way you've molded in your songwriting, I mean, you've probably perfected yourself how to, where to put stuff in now. You mean, you could be a, a, you know, a college professor, just teaching songs at this point, you know what I mean. How to write the perfect song. If anyone's close to it, you have probably got the key to it. You know. So the, well, I think the ch-
1: uh, yeah, yeah. But do you? Have, I can I can follow. You know, about eight of the things you said. Which one would you like me to follow? I think the
0: first thing is the psychology. I always think it's interesting. Is is. More like producers or people go in the institute and they record a band, you kind of have to be like a psychologist and, and uh, a friend, and you have to have all these different personalities. And sometimes when I've talked to producers, they'll be like, No, I kind of do this, or it's my way. And then, and when you do it that way, it feels like there's a lot more banging of heads. But for you to have this list of music and to work with this many people and be doing this well and still be who we're talking, talking to somebody like me with a tiny little channel, you're not that guy.
1: Well, I always. Uh... I never trusted the music business and that turned out to be a really good thing because as you grow older, you know, everything changes whether you want it to or not. And I always had a sense about, you know, just saving money and and never, never assuming, you know, because things are really fickle. You know, you go, okay, so I am in L.A. I work in Hollywood. How? What do I expect? Do I expect loyalty? No. <laughs> but <laughs> my, I do have my best employer over the entire career I had is a guy named Rob Cavallo. And he was also the biggest employer I had. He rose to the, become um, chairman of Warner Brothers Records before he kind of retired. And I met him on the Goo Goo Dolls. We did Iris, the first thing we did together, which is probably the best and biggest song I've ever done. And it's still one of the most played and streamed songs in history. And from that day, he was the most loyal person. He was, he's was he been fiercely loyal to this day, even though now he kind of chooses projects just for fun. He always chooses me as a guitar player, and he always did. And so it, it was it, that's the one exception. Rob actually had a loyalty that, that is kind of unusual because most times you work with people and they move on to the next team mm-hmm. or the next artist. And there's a necessity in that because they have to refresh their sounds. And the way you do that... Is by, you know, moving from one composer to another, one musician to another. So it's totally understandable. Uh, the point I'm leading to here is that if I did a Bruce Spring, and this is, there is a, per, a perfect example of this. I did a Bruce Springsteen date that was really exciting for me. I played on a record of his called Human Touch when he was taking a hiatus from the E Street Band. And the next day I was in a songwriter's apartment uh, doing a demo. I always trusted the people in the middle, the songwriters who were doing demos, the independent composers, more than I did the people at the top. Because the people at the top, they had to, they had to travel light and move quickly and trade out people. You know, it, it, it's so a business. I, I, I always trusted people in the middle more than people at the top. So that's partly the answer to your question. But the specific answer to your question, I just I worked harder. I stayed later. I said yes more often. That didn't mean that I wasn't uh, feeling the rejection or feeling the anger when someone dismissed what I was doing. You feel all that, but you have to create a container where it doesn't ding your professionalism. Your job, if you're working for somebody for hire as you know, musical artist, is to assert yourself, but also remember you're trying to make their dream come true. And if you want them to ask you back, you you really do bend over backwards, you know. <laughs> and I had a lot of people who asked me back a lot of times. So it's you know, I just I worked really hard. I, I tried to read the room, I tried to be supportive. that's hard. Very much a people, user, you know, and it's it's it is unnatural, uh, but it, it 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 works, you know, and and you know, musicians the hard thing is you do need to have your own strength and your own voice and your own opinion. But you need to be constantly watching that and asserting it at different times in different ways, uh, as you're working for somebody else. You know, navigating you know that hour or that day. The one last thing I will say is that when you meet somebody in a situation where you're doing their art, like the one day I worked with Michael Jackson, the idea is that for first 15 minutes you have to make them feel totally comfortable and safe, and you also have to give them something amazing in the first half hour or the first 15 minutes that doesn't seem stressful <laughs> but that's where like everybody's shoulders drop everybody relaxes if you go like this and it's something maybe it's not the thing they want but right. if it's something that, where they go oh this is the guy you got to do that uh, you know i said 15 minutes or half an hour but that's almost too long i mean if you're creating sculpting some parts they you know certainly in the first 30 minutes it has to be right but even if it's not right the first five ten fifteen minutes have to be oh yeah this is the guy so I hope that's a good answer.
0: No, that's great. I mean, and, and, and that actually makes me think. So I imagine people were known for a certain sound or for a certain thing. But the artists you play on, I can't see you in a certain sound, though. I mean, you're not death metal, but I'm saying you played a lot of different types of music. Like, so I don't think you were... Like, I could see like, this guitarist this is a guy we call for salsa. This is a rock guy. I see you play on, a, I mean, your career is everywhere.
1: Well, that's the job of a studio musician, and there are dangers in that. You know, the reason somebody has a style uh, that's born out of limitations a lot of the time. And those limitations are what forces the person to be in this particular silo and have a style. Now, as a studio musician, you need to emulate every style. So there is a danger in that, but it was, I just wanted a job, you know, I just wanted to be, I, I loved living in LA and working for all these different people. And if you listen, you know, you listen to yourself every day and you play, you realize that, oh, you are kind of doing a certain thing each time. But, you know, it, it's I was always very uh, – I'm a very natural rock player, and then uh-huh. I learned how to play R&B. So when I play rock, I don't imitate rock. It's real. And that that was something people always sensed, Cavallo in particular. And then I learned how to play R&B because I really loved it, and the guys – you know, I I wasn't very good at it. And I over the course of a decade, from like 1990 to the year 2000, I learned how to play R&B because I loved the practitioners, which were Paul Jackson Jr., Michael Landau, Dan Huff, all the guys in town, even Steve Lukather incredible R&B players. So uh, I did get that together and I just carried those two skills as far as I could, you know.
0: One of the things that surprises me is you don't really have a lot of, of your own
1: like solo stuff out, like,
0: you know, solo okay, albums. Okay,
1: so, uh, I did a Whitney Houston song that was on the Bodyguard soundtrack, which mm-hmm. in the 90s, no, it was the late 80s. Um, <clears throat> it was called Queen of the Night and it was in the movie. I'm actually going to do a video about it. And that... That soundtrack sold 30 million copies, and they don't give musician credits on soundtracks. And so I I felt this, it was about 1988, and I felt this desire to actually do a solo record. So I spent a year or two of my spare time. I got a record deal, uh, a decent one, and I released a solo record in 1990. And it still holds up really, really well. It's called Guitarland.
0: Yeah, I like it. At that point, I got
1: it out of my system. And I'll tell you why. I am a lover of songs. Mm-hmm. And when I went out to support this record, I remember playing going, oh, this is more guitar than I want to hear, actually. I don't want to hear this much guitar. I much prefer being part of a, a song, somebody's song. Okay. And then if we move forward, uh, so I got that out of my system. And, and that then that's when I started to get busy playing, doing sessions for everybody. So. I I, after understanding what it is to do your own solo record, you know, the how much time it takes and how much you have to do to support it and what it really feels like. Then at the same time, it put me back on stage and being on stage to me just feels artificial. I'm kind of odd in that way. For some people, it's it's home, you know, for some people. But for me, it feels artificial. So I went back into the laboratories and just did sessions every day for many, many years. Now, I have a friend, Paul Reed Smith. He is a dear friend. And I don't know anybody at his company, but I know him really well. And he uh-huh. is, has been annoyed with me and angry with me for years about doing a solo record. And I said, Paul, my solo record is on YouTube. Every video has a minute of me doing my solo record every week. That's where it exists. The problem with records is you don't get anything in return for your, for your hard work. There is no... it's. I have to spend hours doing things that actually make my life better in the long term. And a solo record at this point is, to me, it's just pure vanity.
0: Well, you, you answered it. The first thing is, you said, and this is one of my favorite things to hear, is it's about the song. That encapsulates your career because you, you get enjoyment. Some people are like, I'm paying the bills. I'm playing as a session guy. But you're like, I'm playing for the song because I enjoy what I'm doing. And that's why the song's better. But you're enjoying what you're doing some people have to do their own stuff and you're like, this is my stuff. So that's, that, that, that explains everything to me. Like, I get it.
1: Absolutely. And I'm more that guy now. I actually, uh, you might be shocked by this, but I only do sessions for family and friends. Now there's no partly because the hours I spend are much more valuable put into my business and being Mm -hmm. an artist on YouTube and being, you know, managing this business. But the session world—if I do a session, I'm still anonymous. And in this day and age, it's, it doesn't have the importance it used to have. It used right. to be a really, really important job. So I don't—I do sessions for family and friends, and I don't even bother charging for them. I just—I just—I'm finishing a record with Patrick Leonard, uh, and I don't—we never talk to money, and I probably won't even charge him for it. <laughs>
0: That's really cool.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's just but no that's way. the love
0: of music. That's and yeah, this is, it's, it's, yeah. it shows. It bleeds over, and, and that's why your channel. I mean, what you just offer on the free. I haven't dove, honestly paid and gotten to the paid part of your stuff yet because I haven't had the time to invest myself personally. Because I spend a lot of time, you know, as, as you know, doing a show. Even a small one takes a lot of time. But I will be going into that world of yours soon to be learning up in my game. But just the free side that you offer on YouTube is huge it's so much to people it offers well that's that's a necessity and it's it's something
1: that i learned a long time ago and i'm still learning (laughs) it's it's a pretty challenging thing to do a good youtube video once (laughs) a week or three times a week and and hold an audience's attention it's it it doesn't get easier believe me but uh it's it's a it's a joy and i'm proud of the amateur videos that we
0: make and uh thank you are you kidding are you kidding me i was just watching the one i watch them all the time it's, it's uh you're talking about um joe cocker then you do, do the um Dwayne alma one just here you're fluttering up there down the neck just so beautifully it's just so relaxing to me it's like ah uh, um the guitar nerd in me and it's just it's not like you're watching a video you, you actually you're like what happened in my 10 minutes what happened in my 20 minutes because you feel like you're in the minute and that's the um your personality i think the way you communicate thank you thank you
1: yeah i I you know I have never been happier as a musician and uh, I feel like I can be an artist on YouTube by either play along with these masters or I write my own music. I hire a couple of friends. I have a friend Jeff Babco and I have him play analog keyboards and Hammond organ. And then I just hired Victor and Drizzo, my friend, drummer friend, who plays with Alanis Morissette to play on a, a forthcoming video. So that's fun too. I hire my friends to. to
0: well, I mean the fact that you've created this business, I mean and you're sharing these skills. I mean, you'll probably never see back at all the wealth of knowledge and inspiration you've given to legions of Guitar players. You can be modest well, about what, it, but what, I mean the, it's really huge.
1: Well, you get a sense of it when you go to NAM. I used to go to NAM uh, everybody knows what NAM is, the the convention and
0: convention uh, not Vietnam. Yes. yes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and it would be it was you you'd go, Well, I, I'm seeing some friends, but gosh, this is kinda of waste of time. Well, when I go to NAM now I get I get people from all over the world coming up to me and, and thanking me for the you know, the, the That's the, gotta be the, the best the, gift it, ever. And then I went to Sweetwater and did a convention a couple of weeks ago and a lot of the the, the public wasn't really invited to that. It was an influencer event, but a lot of the thirty five hundred employees were milling around and I had people come up to me all the time and, and they're very grateful. So it, you do get the you do get the sense that you're you're reaching people and that they're very grateful, and you do get the sense that just don't screw this up because you <laughs> can't screw it up
0: so well. <laughs> Listen, the fact that you're such a human being is what makes you so relatable. Everyone can just talk to you, and you you do things in a way like there are probably I'm saying those are people that can afford to go and do now, and the music people. I'm talking about dorks like me that'd be playing guitar in their bed or you have people in other countries that are in small towns or villages or, or watching on their phone that would never have access to any of this Great. you know and then and, and you're all for free click on this little button here on their phone or whatever device they have or whatever country they're in or whatever language it is. It doesn't matter what language it is. they just have to look at the notes and see the smile i mean that's huge that's thank your impact thank you so much you know I, and i mean it i mean that's why is are you're, you're such an important player, you know, these days and, and you still are. Well, I never expected this
1: to be, I thought the other career was plan A. This is actually more plan A. <laughs> yeah.
0: That I, one I, was just, cool. This one is just awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, it was, I, you know, I just, I'm really enjoying this and it's, it's a wonderful thing. I feel like I get to actually reach people and be an artist and
0: it's, it's, no, it's, it's
1: even if one of the videos. My, I get. I average about twenty thousand views a day on YouTube, and I, if I release a video and it does poorly right now, it gets about forty thousand views, and that's Dodger Stadium. Okay, doesn't say. And, and then the you know a couple of weeks ago I released a, a video about Leslie West and Mississippi Queen. That's at two hundred twenty five thousand. That's you know, that's the Rose Bowl. You know, what you know, almost three nights in a row, I guess. So, it's. When you look at it like that, it's just a really
0: wonderful, you know... It's my blowing isn't it, to think about it, that many yeah. people? Like, how... can that many people watch it at once? Like, it's insane to think about that. It's kind of numbers. Yeah.
1: So I, I'm really... I, I feel very lucky. You
0: know. It makes me happy to see people like you have that success. When then I see my grandson watch a video, and there's, like, people running around on styrofoam things, hitting each other, getting 15 million views. And my heart breaks every time. I'm like, I get it. It's fun. I get it. It makes them happy, and they're quiet. But seriously... There's so much good content out there that should have bigger numbers.
1: Yeah, the uh, the music education and entertainment segment is 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 pretty small compared to what you know the the huge people on, on YouTube, oh, yeah, or on TikTok or on Instagram, right? Uh, but it's still pretty phenomenal what we can do there. It's really nice.
0: So, what is your so when you actually do your your. Um... Your videos and stuff. Do you have a certain goal? Like you're like, I have, you plan it out? Are you writing it out? Are you kind of going with what you think of in your head?
1: It's it's always different. Sometimes there's a very clear subject. Like I, I, I bought a a particular Les Paul at Sweetwater that's, that I was taken with. And that Les Paul will drive a video that will be called the best Les Paul I've ever owned or this is the perfect Les Paul, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of title you need to get people to click on it.
0: I know, and so that
1: will actually take care of itself. But then there are other times when I have to kind of reverse engineer a uh, a concept. The other thing is, is, is for YouTube. Sometimes I'll spend the weekend shooting, and I'll, and then I'll, when my film editor gets it on Monday he'll spend the whole day editing and I'll look at it on Monday night and go, this is not good enough to release and I have to start over. So it's never, and then sometimes the videos, some of my most successful videos, well, these days are live stream. So that's yeah. the opposite. Sometimes I'll work extra hard on a video just to get it to be decent, but then I'll do these live streams that I do prepare for. But, I, don't, you know, I do prepare for them, but they actually, we just throw them down live. I do a little bit of editing on the YouTube editor to tighten them yeah. up. Afterwards, and those are actually, these days, my biggest videos. So um, what was the original
0: question? Um, Something about racing horses. No. <laughs> um, it was about preparing for the shows. And, and because I have a little background on a few different things like editing and video and stuff, and, and doing a small show myself and knowing the skills that you have, and the amount of work that goes on beyond, behind the scenes, it's and I don't, I don't think I see any thing where I feel like you're like, oh, he's really stretching. You know what I mean? Like he's really hurt, hurt for content. Because it's hard to come up with content all the time for shows like yours. It's unsustainable. I mean, every YouTuber at a certain
1: point ends up getting burned out, every single one. And then you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I have a pretty comfortable... Uh, routine now, but we work really hard, and you know that the it wants no matter what you give it, it wants more. So, you know, at, at my age, it's you know, it's much you know, you see, you know, if you're your 20s and 30s, you're much willing to, to do three videos a week. But I've been able to do right now, I'm at two live streams a week and two production videos a week, and that keeps my footprint that's huge. Well, it, it keeps it keeps my footprint from slipping on YouTube, uh, right. which is all I need to keep the master class, you know. I, I don't need. I don't really need to grow the YouTube audience. Although it does the, you know, it does grow a little bit every month. But for me, more than that, it's about keeping my street corner, keeping my footprint. You know, I because uh, it gets during the pandemic. While it was great for all of us, every guitar company did their best years ever. All of us who have educational products. Uh-huh did really really well because people went home and wanted to learn guitar so it was a it was a, 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 boom. a boom for those of us who actually have you know educational sites and stuff like that but uh it, it also meant that youtube got incredibly saturated with every every friend of mine in the world every guitar player started a youtube channel during the pandemic so then all the competition got greater so just holding your own street corner as it were uh, in a much
0: more crowded environment became you know a real deal well, you've held your breath, and it's, it's kind of gotten past the, the part of it, you know, because you did. You see the boom; everyone's got this, and like I, I joke, I'm like, I wouldn't even start a podcast thing if I knew how many people were doing it. And yeah, and, keep going. Yeah, keep going because it is. Yeah, it, it's you realize at a certain point you're doing
1: this for yourself and for your audience,
0: hundred percent. And I'm going to tell you, it's the love of music. And everything
1: else is is irrelevant.
0: There's no the profit numbers, making. No.
1: Yeah, everything.
0: This this talking to you. I talk to other artists. It's a gift, and then having a conversation that hopefully someone else would have the same exposure to talk to you, a little bit different than your show. That's kind of cool. And then you know, it's I started just because I wanted to um, work out, to, reach out to artists and tell people. I started with it was goes it was back real fast like with like Dweezil Zappa. It was the first thing I was talking to him, and I was at a Dweezil show, and they're like complaining about the price of merch, and that's what set me going. I'm like, merch is so important. And then I backwards engineered it, and me and Dizel talk, talking, we're talking about it, because he sh- no one complains about it. So I'm going to be the voice complaining for everybody, saying, hey, go on the websites, no one's touring, get the merch. The shirts cost X amount of money, they're touring them, it's the gas, the, the clubs are taking a profit, you know. These guys are not living like rock stars, they're huffing it out. And, you know, it's a hard gig. Support the artists, and that's been my mantra. It's changed a little bit now because, you know, things have loosened up a little more and artists are out there. But that's what it was about. I mean, and it's evolved. But for you, you got in early and I got, got you. your product as, a, as, a, as an original, not as a copycat. You were had your own little model. It wasn't just a music show because you had a lot to offer. And I, As a content person, for me, it's very exciting. I'd be like, oh, my God, look at your your, your history. I have a million ideas. So if you're ever thinking of ideas, <laughs> okay, all right, all, right. all the reservoir of ideas for your shows. Because for me, I'm like, you've got so much – to tap on to, as an outsider looking in, and you know, I've watched probably most of your videos, probably most of your numbers, is me. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. And to keep doing it is incredible. And, and, and to hear you're going to keep doing it to me is a fan. Is, is good. And Well, I have a system set up to where,
1: you know, I have to, you know, we have, like I say, I have four employees. There is a spend on the business that never goes away. And that's a, it's a good motivator. You know, I have to get film in front of my editor who gets faster all the time. So uh it's it's great it's, it's and it's good. weird
0: right there's no end game like people are like 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 we on tv you have this x many seasons you read this and that you youtube you're kind of your own channel your own tv thing your own and i'm also a podcast and i'm like all these different things and then you're your own person and they're like how much are you gonna release what is your what is your end game for each creator i mean yours is huge you have responsibilities i have no nothing like that
1: well, you're a you're a one person uh, media machine. I mean, you do you know you're doing everything that you know ten or thirty or three hundred people do in at Netflix, right? Or you know, see what I'm saying? It's it's so it is it's pretty. It's 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 a lot of work. And and you're right. What you if you know going in if you knew going into it how much work it would be you wouldn't do it. But. Uh, once you're in it. I just, I've gotten used to being either 10% or 50% or 100% or thousands percent behind all the time. <laughs> I'm just feeling. running behind my to-do list, just chasing.
0: It, <laughs> it just gets bigger And my, you know. It's just, you've it's been fun. a hustle your whole life, and that, I think that's the work ethic. Like, I have a little video. I had some teaching video skills in my past, and I've done music and worked in some radio. Like, I've had all different skills to this, so I had a little bit of something coming into this. Otherwise, I would have lasted. It would have eaten me alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to have something else coming into this. Otherwise, yeah. YouTube will eat. But all it.
1: the other, the other YouTubers, we all share. We all talk about this. And you know, you're not going to change the system, and you're not going to stop. But, but we live. We talk about burnout all the time. A, a lot of us in the guitar community talk to each other all the time. I, I talk to Rick Beato almost every day, and he's the biggest and probably the most respected. And uh, it's the same for all of us. It's it's like you know. You know, finding the next concept and finishing the next video is like, uh, what? Again? <laughs> I got to do this again? And again? And it's again? It's not like your regular
0: job, right? When you go in every week, and you do your thing, you make your job, you go in on Friday, you punch out, like you know what you're going to do, yeah. and you can do a, medi- a mediocre job, an average job all the time. Like, you've got to be like your best game every single week. There's no Which coasting.
1: Yeah. And so... I'm making peace with it, and I, I, I feel good. But, uh, you know, my friends definitely work a lot harder than me, some of them. So I, I respect them. As far as, yeah,
0: yeah, that's the thing. Like, how do you find time besides all this with all your, like, all the other people? Like, to, to stop. You, if you do all your shows, and then you do something with, like, Rick. I mean, to me, you, you don't do this. This is special, really special for this time with me. But you do a lot of other side big shows. Well, know? Those are spontaneous.
1: If you're a guest, then you're not editing. You're not you know so it those are easy. The stuff I do with Rick is literally first take stuff. Really? Uh yeah. And then I did something with Red for Universal Audio uh right before NAM and we spent a day down at Sunset Sound, but his team edits it so it's they're
0: tight. Your guests your guest spots are also tight. It feels like well, they're just
1: it's just like I've been lucky lately. So uh but that's the easiest thing in the world. You just show up and 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 then all the real work happens after you leave and they put it all together and
0: well, I think it helps. You, you and Rick have a great relationship in the chemistry shows on screen. Or Thank you. computer, whatever. Thank you. I think that's that's an important thing. Sure. Did I see something? You did something with some James Taylor songs, too? Was it you? I saw something. You had done something. It popped up my feed. I thought... I have some friends from
1: Singapore who do uh, audio records. And uh, we did a James Taylor-themed record.
0: Yes. just. An uh,
1: and I, it was great. I hired... Uh, I actually put together the band. I hired Russ Kunkel and Lee Sklar and I hired James's band, and even Dean Parks. I hired him to play guitar because he is the man that, when James broke his hand, he is the man that, that James chose to play his guitar parts while his hand healed on stages all over the world. So uh, it was it was awesome.
0: It was I can't think of the name was it. Janice? Chess, I can't hear the name. Her name's just Cynthia. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Jacinta, yeah. I saw it. Thing. I, I, I listened to it. But you know, like when you listen and you see things either on YouTube or downloads, like I, don't know, I was talking to um, like Bill Buford on his albums. I'm like, and I got he sent me this like a, a, a collection of his big three CD thing, right? And I'm looking at, it, I'm like, I didn't even know you were on all these songs because if you go on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, not saying anything, you don't know anymore who the artists are in these albums, right? So like when I heard, it, I'm trying to think, I always catch the names because it's like this digital world, I lose it. I know it was you. And that was it. And I was like, and I'm like, oh, I don't know who this other artist is. And sometimes I can reverse deep dive, but you don't know now because the credits don't. Yeah, It's a free for all. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's, it's but less- yeah, my point is, it's, so it's a beautiful cool. album.
0: It's a beautiful album. Thank you. Thank
1: you. And I actually tried to remove myself from it, but the, the people I worked with from Singapore, because I said, you know, Dean should be your guitar player. This should be your band. So I was basically the second <laughs> guitar player. Uh, uh, and it was fun. It was great. It's It's people, nice.
0: I love, I'm just going for production. And um, I love the sound of that album. I love the production of it because there's a balance of not being pre produced but feeling really live. Yeah, it's very live. That's the perfect, that's the very perfect trick of it. If you can feel like it's live, but it's clean, she's a beautiful singer. The whole, the whole, the the, the, the guitar tone, everything's great. I mean, it's, it's James well, Taylor. It, it's
1: analog, too. That's part of it. That's part of what they're, they make an analog record and then they make a vinyl record. So it, it never nice. leaves the analog realm. realm. So that's. That's what those guys do. It's really fun.
0: And that's actually on your YouTube channel too, right? Is it somewhere on if, if they Google you, they'll find you on YouTube and that's that album to check it out.
1: Um, oh yeah, all you have to do is Google me. And if you want to find the, the the place there is a link on my website, it's called allmusic.com. If you click on allmusic.com, you put my name in, that's where the record the aggregate okay. of record credits are. And there's over a thousand of them. And even stuff that I've forgotten.
0: Uh, you know Oh wow, I did that. I forgot. That's insane. <laughs> I can't believe that. I and mean, because you found, like, like, from, yeah, older time like Michael Jackson, or Trinkle, but, like, say newer people that go, oh, yeah, they're the young people that you're like, oh, wait, like, shine down. You've done all modern artists now. You're not just, like, one generation. You're, like, what, three, four? How many generations are you going in now of artists? Like, Well, four, really, five? from 1980
1: until, you know, just a few years ago.
0: Uh, well, you did I Joe Cocker. I'm giving you 1970s credit because Joe Cocker transcends.
1: Well, yeah, but, that, so I did, I you know. know, I worked with him mostly in the 90s. Uh, um, just you know, every every time they would come do a record, I would end up being one of the guitar players. He, you know, he would do a record every year or two, come to LA and do it. So, I love it's his
0: voice. The I love his voice.
1: His, his records, and even re- really from 1990 to 2010 is when I did all that Joe Cocker stuff. But I also did tons of Celine Dion records, and uh, I don't know. It all it, it all becomes a blur at this point. I did five Kenny Loggins records. To, you know, a lot of a lot of wow, podcasts. that's a lot. And then there were records where I would just appear once, like a Michael Jackson record that was black or white, um, or, you know, a lot of people, it was just one song.
0: Were the Kenny Loggins ones rock ones, or were they, like, Return to Pooh Corner and stuff? Because, like, I know, I thought for a while he did rock, and then he just kind of went really mellow for a while. Mostly rock and pop. Uh, it was
1: mostly the, the, you know, it was the, the rock and pop era of his career.
0: Danger Zone. <laughs> That I know it was a danger about zone. I'm saying, but that's talk about that's the that's the that's the yeah. we're talking about. The yeah. I'm all right to danger zone type of pop music yeah. is what I'm saying. Not loose, we'll no, we'll we'll Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. So, the- all right. So you also have your your paid academy thing, that thing, but piece. I'm lost for words with this. You have so much information from you. Can we talk a little bit about like what what people would get into? Like, is there a certain level like entry level beginner to appreciate it? Right. When I started, I just I was
1: aiming for low, middle, and high intermediate because I honestly didn't know how to teach beginners. Uh-huh. Uh, so I started the the uh, the master class is what I call it about six years ago, and I figured it was intermediate players who basically wanted to play up to my level. You know, I mean, there are levels beyond me. We see these guys all the time, but if you wanted to play up to my level, then my you know place was and so. It's, it's basically a giant basket of, of content. It's, it's got about 13 categories, and there's 1,700 videos, 140 hours of content. Oh. And it's lead guitar, rhythm guitar, tones, you know, strategies for soloing. I have guests. Uh, all my live streams end up in there. Uh, and lately, I finally started a beginner's course, and we're up to 100 videos just in that course alone. And I'm going to keep adding to that because now I'm I'm a better teacher. I've learned to teach on the job with this thing. I know, you know a lot of my YouTube um, friends, the guys that I hang with, they're better teachers than I am. Way better. But I'm learning how to teach, and uh, I finally was able to actually get good enough as a teacher to teach beginners. And so I, I've been stalking it, and so it's ready to go. So you can go to my master class and... Mm-hmm there's a hundred beginners videos and I'll keep adding to those so I should be able to keep up with you as you progress. And then the entire rest of the site is low, middle, and high. I even have a near beginner category too. Then it just, you know, then you just have to pick and choose and look around and and find stuff that that is right for you at your skill level. And it's a subscription so people either pay yearly or monthly. I seek the yearly members. Uh, That's, you know, I prefer if people you know, it's a better value and that's who really see. And, and over time, there are people who stay, who like to have access perpetually. So it's a business that builds, you know, well
0: uh, over time. It begins to snowball, you know, because I have, I have people who stay forever. Nice. And I think this is why, where I'm at, where I want to join up, as soon as I break my time up a little bit more so I can focus on <laughs> with the channel onto your stuff. Because early on when I started playing guitar about five years ago, As an example of me learning and us following all the videos and part of it is also your teaching is you i realize, that i think you're a good teacher there's probably like 10 really big guys out there playing and teaching guitar out there and you're one of them and you may feel some of them are better than you but the truth is i think everybody learns differently and to me the way you communicated and there's actually been other guitar players uh that on my show are the same thing different than others and it's to me it's great i think that's how i need to learn so to me i think you've out of the box i been learning from you that way.
1: Well, and it it is a match and the reason we offer a free trial, I I I, I tried this at first and it worked. I offer a fourteen day free trial is honestly because I want to send most people away. I want them to actually it has to be a, a good match. So I want people to with no obligation to go, Okay, this is not right for me because that's how I get the one person that it is right for. If I send nine people away that one person they right. might stay forever. So uh, I agree with you. Everybody has a particular
0: kind of what's the word? Uh, well, the, we learn differently. We teach differently. And and I made the mistake when I first started out, and that's why I've waited now. And I think when I'm about ready, is I found a guitar player da 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 uh, online thing. I didn't have a YouTube channel, but it had a whole beginner level. All the levels and program I checked out it looked good. I saw some lessons, but I was so new at learning how to play. I couldn't quantify how well I was learning from them and how my own skill level was. Right. I didn't have a lot to compare to. I did it. I paid for it. I think I did, I did a couple of things. I got frustrated. And even looking back, I went back to them. I'm like, this is not the person to teach me. I don't like the way they teach. It's just not for me. I waste a lot right. of money doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. That's a danger, and that's kind of interesting. If you're a newer guitar player, and you're looking to start doing something. You really got to be kind of looking at it with, like, your channel. You have a lot of free stuff already. I already know how you teach, so to me, it'd be just going in and just doing it. You know what I'm saying? I've been looking because I didn't want to make the same mistake. Because once I come in, I go 100. That's how the channel. Is. It's like, this, you know? So it's important for people to to to, to check that out. And I think that, that plan of just having a, a, going in for 14 days is awesome. I didn't even know you had that. Yeah, it was. I just,
1: it, frankly, it was for my conscious. I, I, conscious. I don't want anybody to pay for something that they or don't feel hundred percent sure about. That's and a the, different the model. Thing, we, we give refunds, no questions asked. So if if somebody gets surprised by the, uh, you know, the, the thing re triggers every twelve months. If somebody gets surprised and, and that for whatever reason they they don't want to stay in, they get their mm-hmm. money back immediately. It's it's a joy of mine to actually. I just keep people happy. I have all my ex members and my members are blissfully happy.
0: The well, then, you know, then I think that was a problem. I felt like I felt like I got. I ended up in a gym membership. Like all of a sudden, yeah. I'm not going to the gym. Like I'm not. Like, it just. I felt trapped, and, and it was crazy. Yeah. You know, to to, to 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 be like that. I felt really kind of like I'm like. Well, I paid for it. I'm an adult man. I agreed. I made these, this is my deal. You know what I mean? I really need to reapproach things. And, and I think, and it's always been the back of my mind. When I talk to people like how other guitar players be careful on how you jump into the programs because not all these programs are designed. I think some are designed like they want you to be like a gym where everybody joins and signs up. They get excited Two weeks and they drop off and there's no, less work for that person, but they've already got the money and they move on and, it, you know, it looks good for them at first, not to complaints, but you know, turn off your yeah, comments, just, no one complains. I just want people
1: to be happy and, and enjoy their time in the program. You know, you don't necessarily even have to get better as long as they're happy and enjoying guitar life and, you know,
0: the videos and everything. So let's, probably one more, more common questions. What? how many guitars do you have at this point? I mean, because I imagine, let me say this, a, there's a certain point where I know guitars get so many, and then they go back to the point where they go, I just want the ones for certain sounds. And then they go through a point where I regret when I gave up the first time. And then they go through another time where they're like, I just need a few, and I can, at this point, emulate most of the sounds I want. There's a certain like, like uh, parts that big guitarists go through in their lives. It feels like, you know.
1: Well, during the '90s, it was kind of an arms race. So you would show up at the studio. There would be a truck full of gear would show up, and I would bring uh, probably 40 guitars and, and what? amps and pedal boards. And, and then there was the rack in the you know in the '80s and early '90s.
0: It was the rack. Are you serious? I'd be like, what are we paying this guy to get in here? Like <laughs> exactly. you gear coming in, Jeez.
1: So, but but it was typical studio musicians brought in because what the 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 thing was somebody might ask you, hey do you have a Jaguar and you had to say yes. Hey do you have an old Telecaster? You had to say yes. Hey what about what twelve strings do you have? Hey how many right. of guitars do you have? Let's try all your acoustics. So you really had to show up because you never wanted to say no when somebody asked you do you have you, know, do you have an old Gibson acoustic? Right. You got a Martin you know. Uh, so I, I you know. I have around a hundred guitars, uh, probably over a hundred for a while. But I've actually I sold a lot of gear last year because now I'm finally um, I'm distilling it, I'm refining it. It's becoming you know more of a right. keeping. You know, and and I keep getting new ones too because a lot of a lot of times I get these guitars with no, at no charge now, and so it's still a you know there's an inflow and an outflow, but it's around a hundred
0: usually. That's pretty good. What are your, what, what do you say your favorites are? Do you have any favorites that you well, focus Well, I
1: love the Paul Reed Smith guitars and they're, people are very opinionated about those, but they're so easy to play and the consistency is amazing. Um, I have a good relationship with Fender. So I'm playing their guitars more right now. Uh, and then I, I found this amazing Gibson Les Paul, uh, this Murphy Lab Les Paul at Sweetwater that I bought that's, Great. So it's and then I really represent boutique builders, guys who make five, ten guitars. Tom Anderson makes about nine hundred guitars a year, nine hundred. His guitars are even better today than they were. It, it's phenomenal the work he's doing right now. Um, so I don't really have a favorite because they're all, you know, they're just. I, I love them more than ever,
0: you know, and they're all different and they're all unique and and uh, right. I also said right now, like what's, like, you know, like what's your favorite album? Well, right now, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean. Exactly. It'll change, you know, because you'll go. I mean, I only have a few, so I don't, have the, I don't have that issue. But I would be, I would be overwhelmed. You know what I mean? I wouldn't even know what to do. Yeah, and they all sound different. I mean, they literally sound they different. Even the, even the same brand. I mean, I've gone to the point now where I just like, I like getting going to pawn shop for guitars and sounding them out. You know? And it's so different than when I was a kid and a
1: teenager in the seventies. And a guitar player basically had one guitar. Even if they were the biggest guitar player in the world, they generally had one guitar that they would play most of the time. And yeah. I only had one guitar that I would play most of the time. It's just get, getting into the studio, you know, it's, you know, it's just become kind of a, it's Your such a industry, the, the guitar business that people end up, and, and it's great to have, you know, it's great to, for any guitar player, it's great to have up to 10 guitars because
0: it's going to put you in different, styles modes
1: inspiring different they're types. beautiful
0: works of art too I mean let's face it they are? they're beautiful that's I, some of my kids I've got more guitars elsewhere too and you know and then my kids got you uk- my kids got you and we got you know my kids play um they won't play with dad because that would be uncool but they do play <laughs> but you know yeah, it's
1: yeah it's it's it, I'm more in love with guitars with guitars than I've ever been I really
0: am yeah that's fantastic so I'm gonna encourage people. I want you to come check out your channel. Check out TimPierce.com. dot com. Subscribe to you. Soon enough, you'll have me on your master class too. Because I gotta get going. I gotta, I've been so distracted by, I said, by doing this channel by not playing enough guitar. So I need to get back to what I love doing. Why I started the show, ironically. And um, I want to I thank you, man. It's been awesome.
1: You're welcome. You know, I, I I looked at your channel. I don't know how it came to me. Maybe you did you email me, and then I, I looked at it, and you had just interviewed Lorraine Lewis from. Dixon. And she, her and I are from the same hometown. Are you? I knew her in Albuquerque. And I think we have this, we're, I think we were born on the same day. you really? have to check with her, but September 18th, in 1958. Um, but the, I, I really liked that interview. I, I, because I, I, when you contacted me, I thought, okay, let's, let's take a look at this. And I thought, oh, there's Lorraine and there was just—it was a wonderful interview, and she had so much enthusiasm. And uh, it, it, I thought, yeah, I want to do this. So thank you, I yeah, appreciate it. It, the, it means a lot to me that you were on. So yeah, I'll check you out. Okay, well, we can we'll check you out. Let's do another one sometime. We will. Uh,